If you weren't here last week, we took a look at uh, Romans chapter 13 as it relates to the current issue related issues related to immigration in our country. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time reviewing that. If you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to that on the podcast. My only request is this, just listen carefully. Uh, I talked to some folks this week and uh, thought they heard me say something that I didn't say. In fact, was saying the exact opposite of. So just if you, if you listen to that, just make sure you pay attention. That's all. Okay? Pay attention. I'm talking to you. Um, yeah. Uh, this morning, we're going to do part two of that. I want to talk about welcoming the stranger again. Uh, I, let me just say this off the top, c- coming in, um, introduction. Why? Why, why? why talk about this uh, in church? Uh, I, I would say, as in, in so much as this is a political issue of the day, it's also a biblical issue. Uh, there are a lot of things that the Bible relates to in life. Life is happening all around us all the time. And life can be challenging. It can be confusing. And my, my thought is this. If the Bible does not relate to what's happening in my life, I'm probably in the wrong game. Right? Uh, you know, one of those, money. We, every time you talk about money, people, why do we talk about money in church? And I go, well, we talk about money in church because the Bible talks about money. That's why. And the Bible has a lot to say on the issue of how we are to treat foreigners, people from other places, people that are different than us. Uh, And I think it's important that we, as kingdom people, have an understanding of of what the Bible says about that. Uh, The other reason I feel compelled to share about this particular issue is this. As it relates to what the Bible says about that, we have a problem. And when I say we, I don't mean us PVC, what I do mean is the evangelical church in America has a problem. 25% of Americans self-identify as evangelical. That means if, if you, when you do a survey, you ask people, what is your religious affiliation? 25%, one in four would say, I identify with the evangelical church. That means basically a main, mainline, mainstream, Protestant, you know, Christian. Uh, that's the largest single group. 21% are Roman Catholics. So there are more evangelicals uh, in the country today than Roman Catholics. But those would be the largest group, and then it kind of goes down from there. So when those evangelicals were asked, evangelical church in America was asked, what influences you most on the issue of immigration? One in 10 said the Bible. One in 10, 10% responded the Bible, Christians. 2%, one in 50 said my church. 16% said the media. The the rest don't know. And that's a problem. But what's striking to me is that... uh, 50% more people, Christian people, get their information from the media than they do from the Bible or church. I think that's a problem. To me, if I can be really honest, bless you, as a pastor, that's discouraging. Uh, we, We are the people of the book, right? The Bible is the word of God. It is our guiding light. We, we, we pride ourselves on knowing the word of God, studying the word of God, living the word of God, but we don't know what it says. That's discouraging to me. This is, frankly, 
heartbreaking to me. That one person in 10 gets information from the Bible and the rest get it from the media. Um, So this morning, I'm just going to go over some foundational principles, kind of a biblical overview on the issue of immigration, uh, the issue of the treatment of foreigners. We're going to go over lots of scripture today. Uh, So if you are a note taker, limber up your fingers because get ready to write, baby. Oh, I like that. Uh, so let, but let's, let's, just, let's just pray, and then we'll, and we'll, we'll do it, okay? Thanks, Jesus, for uh, your word. Uh, we, we do, Lord, wanna, we want to be informed by your word. We want to understand your heart and to know what you have to say on the issues that are important in our life today. We want to make our decisions based on what it means to be a follower of Christ, to live in your kingdom uh, and, and not just form our opinions and our decisions on uh, the, the, the way of the world or what the world is saying to us. So open, your, open our hearts to receive from you today. Your name we pray. Uh, for the record, I'll just say this. Statistically speaking today in, in the United States of America, about 4% of the people that are in this country currently, so that's about 11 to 12 million people total, are what would be called undocumented. They are here without the proper paperwork that says they should be able to be here. Uh, Some of those, guess what, live in our community. I don't know if you knew that. But some of them live in our community. How do I know that? Well, I know that because they come to get food from us on Thursdays. And it's interesting, we have been serving food in this community for 22 years. And this last year, a year ago, suddenly people began to be afraid to come here for food because they were afraid if they came here, someone might come and arrest them. And so I sat down with a few of the other pastors here in our community and our chief of police and and two commanders from the Tiger PD, and we shared with them our concerns. And the chief of Tiger police gave me this assurance. He said, I, or she actually said, I absolutely guarantee you that if your folks come to receive food from you, that they will not be bothered by law enforcement. That's not our job. If someone commits a crime, then we have a problem. But if they're just there to receive food, no, we will not uh, come in and uh, harass them or arrest them in any way. And they were happy to hear that. They were thankful. And so some of those folks still come and see us uh, on a regular basis. So what does the Bible say about how we should think as followers of Christ on the issue of immigration? The first thing probably the, you know, the underlying or foundational principle of all of this is that all people are created in the image of God. Uh, I, I, I love this. I, I love creation in Genesis when you read it and, and God says it's good. He creates you know, the heavens and the earth and stars and all the stuff and it's good and it's good and he creates the sea and the water and it's good and the animals and they're good and then he creates people and he said that's very good. That's the crown of creation. This is, this, man is in my image. We, we look like the God. We're image bearers of God. And God said it was very good. And all of us, every person on this planet, regardless of where they're from, is created in the image of God. That has implications to us. One, one implication is this. Our dear friend James, you guys remember James? Uh, With the tongue we pray as our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. So we come and worship and praise God, and then we curse our brothers and sisters who are made in the image of God. James says that's inappropriate. I would just say this to us as, as, as followers of Christ today. I hear a lot of derogatory kind of language coming out of the media. I do. 
And I think as Christians, we should be conscious of that and careful about what we say regarding other people. One little example, probably one of the nicest things that can be said, that is said sometimes about those that come to us from other places are they're an illegal. This person's an illegal. So I would just ask one question. Do you think that God looks at that person and says they're an illegal? That would be my question. And, and my only point here is simply to consider the language that we use and what that might mean John, we just finished the book of 1 John, and he reminds us that Jesus died for the whole world, not just for some people. Jesus didn't die for white people. He didn't die for the middle class. He didn't die for Americans. He died for the whole world. I I was thinking of this this week. Uh, I have these nostalgic moments. And in the very, 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 very early days of the vineyard, Carl Tuttle wrote a song called All the Earth Shall Worship. Anybody remember that? I didn't think so. <laughs> but all the earth shall worship at the throne of the king. Of his, I don't know the rest. But it was a beautiful song. And when we sang it, the image in my mind was always that picture uh, from Revelation of the whole world, of every t- tribe and tongue and nation worshiping God simultaneously together. And it's a beautiful, beautiful image of the creation worshiping God. And so first and foremost, um, People are all created in the image of God. Second of all, Scripture commands us to love our neighbor. Uh, We know this. This is one of those commandments that's carried all through Scripture. We see this throughout the Bible in different places, and and it's phrased in different ways, but we're to love our neighbor as ourself. Uh, I want to go back, and I want to look at the very, very first time that that commandment shows up in Scripture. It's in the book of Leviticus in the law. It says, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Amen? Amen. The rest of the chapter defines that commandment. And what it says just a few verses later is this. When a foreigner resides among you in the land, do not mistreat them. The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native born. Did you know it said that? Did anybody know scripture said that? Love them as yourself. Why? Because you were foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Uh, so, so we are called to love our neighbor as, as ourself. And, and uh, again, as I said last week, we've looked at, uh, you know, the parable of Good Samaritan, and we have an understanding that uh, you know, our neighbor isn't just the person next door. Um, the third, oh, I was just going to say, Jesus, of course, summed up that uh, commandment in the New Testament. And then the third issue is uh, our identity is that of an immigrant. Um, I think we forget this sometimes as Christians, that this world is not our home. Remember that? Um, the writer of Hebrews says, this is, this is the, uh, you know, the, the Hebrews hall of faith, fame, faith, you know, the faith warriors, the, the people that we look to. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. The writer of Hebrews also says, Jesus suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore 
For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Paul puts it more directly. Our citizenship is in heaven. And Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles. We really uh, are, are not citizens of this world. We really are citizens of heaven that are living here. And part of our, our role is to help bring heaven to earth while we're here and to illustrate and exemplify life in Christ and what it means to live in the presence of God. One last uh, text on that particular issue. Hear my prayer. I love this psalm. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner, a stranger, as all my ancestors were. Um, so, so again, uh, what does this mean to us? What does that mean to you and me? I, I think it means this, that when we see someone who looks different than us, we really see ourselves. We don't see someone that is different than us. I see them and they see me and we're really the same. We're very, we're very connected. Um, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And that should always take precedence over being citizen of a particular country. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's my identity. I I happen to live in the United States, and I'm thankful for that. I'm I'm actually blessed to live here. It's one of the better places to live. Canada's pretty nice, too, I hear. But uh, I'm thankful that I live here. But that's not my identity. My identity is a child of God. That's who I am at the core. Um, and, And I can't allow sort of nationalism to take priority over my faith. Does that make sense? I I pledge allegiance to Jesus. That's who I I pledge allegiance to. That is always the highest priority. Let me um, pop quiz. In Scripture, allegiance to anything other than God is called what? Oops, too far. Idolatry, you're right. Yeah, I would say this. Again, there are certain segments of the church today in which I believe there has become a nationalistic fervor that I think is idolatrous. When we put the American flag on par with the cross and they're the same, that's worshiping an idol. Um, and, and I see that from time to time. And so I just think, I'm just saying to us as a body, let's be cautious. Let's remember who we are. The fourth uh, biblical principle is that we are to practice hospitality. We, we looked at this not too long ago. You remember our, our series on, on gifts, uh, and we talked about some of the language. The word in Greek translated hospitality is philoxenia. It's made up of two words, philos, which is love, brotherly love, and xenia, which is the stranger. So hospitality, literally, the Greek word hospitality means love of the stranger. That's what we're called to do, to practice hospitality, to love the stranger. There's another word that has come of use recently, uh, xenophobia, which is the fear or, or hatred of strangers or foreigners. And here's the thing. Those two things are diametric, diametrically opposed. They are the opposite of one another. You can't be both. You cannot fear or hate others and love them. That doesn't work. Uh, you can't be both. As Christians, we need to recognize that, and we are called by God to practice hospitality and to love the stranger. 
here's, a, here's another little, just a thought. Just a thought. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. What if, just what if, that illegal is an angel? I don't know. It's just an idea. It's just a little thought. Um, It could be an angel. Or, um, Jesus came in the guise of an immigrant. It could be Jesus. And then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison. You did not look after me. And they will say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick in prison didn't help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of one of these, you did not do for me. And just for giggles, the word stranger there is xenos, a foreigner. So Jesus himself said, when you don't do it for the stranger, you don't do it for me. It's just um, something else. So uh, that person, you know, that we have judgment on could be an angel, could be Jesus. God cares about foreigners. Um, Another psalm that I love is Psalm 68. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. I have an asterisk there, but if you look in your Bible, there's, there's actually a little footnote at the end of that phrase. And if you look at the bottom of the page in the tiny, tiny, tiny little print uh, of that footnote, it will say the desolate in a homeland. So the Hebrew there is harder to translate than Greek. And the Hebrew could mean God sets the whole lonely in families, or it could mean God sets the desolate in a homeland. God has a home for those that have no home. Uh, that's a beautiful principle uh, that scripture outlines for us. Foundational to the Old Testament is the understanding that Israel was a nation of, of immigrants. If you know your history, Uh, biblical history. Israel wandered in the desert for 40 years. They finally arrived in the promised land. What happened after that? They were taken captive and removed from the promised land. They were later released and went back, and then they were exiled again, and then some of them came back again. But their entire history is a history of displacement. And the people of God should have an understanding and really an empathy for what it means to be a displaced people, what it means to not have a home what it means to be driven from your home. If anybody should understand that, the people of God should understand it. So again, what does that mean to you and me? We're not Israelites. We don't live in the Old Testament. Uh, why do we give a rip? I think we should. I think we should for all the reasons I, I mentioned previously, but I think we should for another reason. I think we should because our nation, once upon a time, prided itself on being a nation of immigrants. This is the uh, inscription on the Statue of Liberty. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame with conquering limbs astride from land to land. So the Greek god is 
a conquering God. It's not like that. Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch whose flame is the imprisoned lightning and her name is Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the airbridge harbor that twin cities frame. Keep ancient lands, you story pomp cries. She with silent lips, give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless tempest tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And of course, the Statue of Liberty stands on Ellis Island in New York Harbor, where between 19, 1892 and 1934, 12 million people immigrated into the United States. And frankly, our country was built on that. It was built as a place of welcome. Um, last uh, point I'll make is this. Um, immigrants are to be protected. The heart of God is always for the vulnerable. The heart of God is always for the marginalized. Uh, the heart of God, as Jesus says in Matthew 25, is all, always for the least of these um, it's interesting to me, Old Testament law makes provision. So, so Old Testament law written 3,500 years ago makes provision for compassionate care of foreigners. Um, and and, and that, that took place, that happened in, in, the ancient Near East was a very tribal society, a very tribal culture. There was a lot of war going on, a lot of killing your neighbor, but the people of God were called to be different. And their law made provision for the care of the foreigner. And yet, in, you know, 3,500 years later, our laws today maybe don't reflect that same level of compassion. I want to, uh, I want to point us to the Ten Commandments, if I could, real quick. The Tenth Commandment is uh, to observe the Sabbath, correct? Right? Keep the Sabbath holy. This is what it says when the Ten Commandments um, are recorded in the book of Deuteronomy. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your may male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and therefore the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. So the law made provision for the care of the foreigners. Um, Leviticus, you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. It also talks there a little bit about sanctuary cities there's been some um, discussion about that as of late. Oregon is a sanctuary state. Tigard is actually a sanctuary city. Uh, the, uh, I signed a document with all the other pastors, most of the other pastors in Tigard, asking the mayor and the city council to consider making Tigard a sanctuary city, and they did so. Um, that is, I don't know if we, we realize that that's a biblical principle. That's where that comes from. The idea of sanctuary city comes from the book of Numbers. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites, say that when you cross the Jordan into Canaan, you get in the promised land, select some towns to be your cities of refuge, to which a person who has killed somebody may accidentally, accidentally may flee. 
They will be places of refuge from the avengers so that anyone accused of murder may not die before they stand trial before the assembly. So a city of refuge was a sanctuary, a place where a person who was accused of a crime could come and be safe until such a time as they were able to uh, stand trial and face legal repercussions if they did kill somebody, obviously, but be released if they didn't. So what does the Bible say about how we should think about uh, people that are different than us, foreigners, immigrants. People are all created in the image of God. Scripture commands us to love our neighbor. Identity is that of an immigrant. We're to practice hospitality. Jesus comes in the guise of an immigrant. God cares about foreigners, and immigrants are to be protected. Um, I, I want to. I, I'm going to clarify. I just want to say, for me, this is not a politically driven message. It's a biblically driven message. I believe it's a biblically driven message on an important social issue. Um, I mentioned at the beginning we have a problem in that uh, the evangelical church in America today, at least on some social issues, is informed more by the media than they are by Scripture. And there are consequences of that problem. And I'm going to share one I think is a, a big consequence. And, and, and again, to me, kind of a frightening one. Um, 75% of white evangelicals today are very, very concerned. So when surveyed, they had, you know, not, not concerned, somewhat concerned, very concerned, highest level. 75%, 7.5 out of 10, very concerned about um, extremism in the name of Islam in the world. 75% are very concerned. That was the highest of any group. 75%. Other, so Roman Catholics, lower. Black Protestants, lower. Religious, no religious affiliation, lower. The highest percentage of concerned people were white evangelicals. Pop quiz. In Scripture, the opposite of faith is? Pretty good. Gold star. The result of taking our cues from the media rather than Bible is that we live in fear. I personally believe that we are called to be light in darkness, that we are called to be hope in hopelessness. I believe when the world has fallen apart, we're the ones that should be standing firmly on the foundation of God and people could look to you and say, wait a minute, they're not afraid, why? That's what I believe. I believe we're called to be faith in the midst of fear and not be the most fearful group out there. There's something wrong with that picture, guys. Again, I, I do not believe this is a simple issue. It's complex and there's a lot of nuance to it, but I do believe that we are called to lead the way in compassion, in care, in empathy, and in faith. And... Um, I think that if you stop and think about it, there are ways in which you can do that in your own life day to day. So one of the days of the conference, I forget which day, we went to lunch for tacos because tacos are good. And there was a young man, a, a black guy standing behind me in line, and I introduced myself to him, and he uh, introduced himself to me, and he had a very heavy accent, and so I said to him, you're not from around here, are you? 
He goes, no, I'm from a little country in southern Africa called Zimbabwe. And I go, I know where Zimbabwe is. I've never been there. I've been to South Africa, but never Zimbabwe. And so we had some uh, affiliation, and we ended up just having a lovely chat for the next 10 or 15 minutes. So all I'm saying is there are simple little ways in which we can extend ourselves to people uh, outside of the legal system. You know, I, I, I make it a point in my life when I see someone different to me, different than me, to smile. I don't smile a whole lot. <laughs> but when I see somebody different than me, I, I do. I smile and I, I try to say hello. I try to greet them and welcome them and make them know, you're welcome here. It's okay. I like you. I, and I think we can do things like that. I think there are little ways in which we can extend ourselves to others. And I'll tell you, when you begin to do that, God will really change your heart. You'll begin to see things differently. Amen?